you all standing around for? Do you not realize that we're about to enter war? No. I guess you don't. Of course. Nobody does, do they? I'm sure at this point the stories and tales of war are just... Fantasy. WCW versus WWE, just a foreign concept two decades ago. And now we find ourselves a different scenario, don't we? Over two decades later, we find the world of sports entertainment dealing with an all-elite nemesis. What do we do as fans? <laughs> what, what do we do as fans? We watch on as spectators. Picking a side as if that's going to change it all. Change the fact that two companies are waging war on each other to find out who is number one. But does that really benefit us? The wrestling fans? The people who watch Monday nights, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, whatever day you want to watch. Week after week. Doesn't, does it? Of course it doesn't. Because we as wrestling fans, we, we like to pick our favorite companies. We like to pick our favorite wrestlers, favorite wrestlers. But we know that that isn't really the case. It doesn't matter where they go. It doesn't matter what companies start, what companies end. Isn't it great that we're just wrestling fans at the end of the day? No, we live this entire story about how wrestling divides people. You know, I'm one of the people who believes wrestling brings us together, brings us closer than the entire universe would ever have us predict. And what are we gonna do? We're gonna let something so raw as war lead us to a smackdown upon ourselves, leaving such damage and chaos that we're gonna need some TNT and dynamite to stop it? Let it lead us to a rampage? No. For tonight, I deem that we reject the idea of being pro-WWE, pro-AEW, and instead be pro-wrestling fans. Because tonight, it doesn't matter if WWE wins or AEW wins. We win. Because tonight, Wrestling With Fiction books AEW versus WWE. Ladies, gentlemen, and lady gentlemen, my fictional friends, welcome to this new and exciting yet chaotic edition of the Wrestling With Fiction podcast. My name is Connor, and if you couldn't quite get it by the intro, we're in for some real cowboy shit. As tonight we book WWE versus AEW, one of the most difficult fantasy bookings that you can make going across WWE's Monday Night Raw, SmackDown, AEW Dynamite, Rampage, and various other programmings. I will attempt to create a semi-succinct storyline clashing the two rival companies together in what can only really be described as a huge American wrestling supercard. One that's set to test the abilities of my own booking and maybe my own sanity. 
and one where I'm pretty sure people will be left out, people will be included in, that people may or may not like. But wrestling, once again, is subjective. It's a thing that we all love. So please implore me as I attempt to do the impossible tonight. And with such things done in mind, I'm going to go over a couple of ground rules. First of all, there will be no tagline this week because we already know what it is. It's WWE versus AEW. With so much going on, I don't think we can have time to cover that. <laughs> so, with that out of the way, a couple extra things. Uh, this is going to be, hopefully, around like a six-month build. But of course, we may not be able to cover certain aspects of this all in such rich detail because we're telling an entire war. So expect some stuff to be a little bit more rough around the edges is the best way to describe it because there's stuff that you need to focus on, there's stuff that you can't, you just need to keep the thing driving through. And with certain aspects going over, we'll get further into it once the booking begins, but I just want to let you know now, this is going to be quite a chaotic booking to set up around and explain everything. With that said, I feel that we need to actually talk about the logistics of this. How on earth could this actually work? Let's talk about how WWE versus AEW could work and how the Forbidden Door isn't as forbidden as you may think. Let's do that in about four minutes. Okay, so let's get the obvious elephant out of the room, and it's the logistics of this being a reality. So, in a hypothetical scenario, we have to deal with the fact that Raw is on the USA Network, SmackDown is on Fox, AEW Dynamite is on TVS now, and Rampage is on TNT. We're dealing with four networks! <laughs> That's is immediately a lot. And even if you subtract Rampage, you're dealing with three different networks and cross-promotion on top of WWE's YouTube channel, tweets, being the elite, and all various other social media places to try and keep track of stories. There's not a lot of give and leeway to kind of just shove stuff in. And at best, you could potentially see it kind of like how we got with Kenny Omega as AEW World Champion, where the Good Brothers came in, assisted him, and didn't really do much else. But with this type of thing, we need to kind of expand on that. Treat said wrestlers from other companies just as important as the main roster talent of your other respected brands. It's a very hard thing to balance because it kind of addresses both complaints that fans have about both rosters is that why is it such and such getting TV time? This could only exasperate it more. So with this in mind, it's one of those things where we're not going to be able to focus on every single talent, but we will be able to highlight set few wrestlers and characters to kind of progress the story and bring on sort of an underlying narrative. I won't say who specifically I have in mind for this, but with that, you need to keep in mind that you can't book everybody. 
As much as I feel like everybody could be booked there, AEW's roster is bigger than ever, and whilst WWE has cut down on a lot of significant players on their own roster, it's still a massive roster, which if you combine two and two together, that's like over 200 pro wrestlers. Not everybody's going to get a story, not everybody's going to be featured in this, but the effects are going to be a big monumental shift. So it's very important to kind of pick key people in this. And for a little bit of context, because I realize this may or may not be brought up, uh, I'm recording this before the Saudi Arabia stuff. So if there's anything that's majorly happened that kind of affects this booking, th this is the warning now, just as a preference that I forgot to mention earlier. And just so that I don't forget, we also need to bring up the idea that a lot of people who people would dub WWE guys have recently gone to AEW and not necessarily vice versa, but there's the theory in the air about a certain man with adrenaline in his soul who may not be visiting your local indie shows. So we have a lot of toys to play with in this scenario. The idea of people jumping ship, the idea of people staying loyal to their brands, the idea that two of the biggest companies in the United States right now could be in a war with each other across three different brands, tones, and different wrestling philosophies. It's a lot to take in. I will undoubtedly miss a couple notable people because the rosters are stacked. But there's a lot of cool stuff to do. There's a lot of cool stuff to see. So ladies and gentlemen, please give me your energy. Give me your time, give me your patience as I attempt to book WWE versus AEW. Strap in, people. This is going to be a long booking. <laughs> So before we get into this booking, I want to preface how I'm going to be structuring this because I feel that's very important. We are building to a WWE versus AEW big supercard, essentially. Kind of a WrestleMania for two big promotions to clash. With that said, with it, the structure of this booking is going to be a lot different from the way I've been recently booking, which is kind of a traditional free act structure. So, for the sake of this beginning, it's going to be all about how this war begins and comes about. Heading into 2, which is kind of a, I guess, build up to the big supercard itself. And then 3 is just the entire flipping supercard that we have together. Because I feel that's the only really good way of structuring this, to kind of get as many people featured as possible to make it feel like a proper war, so to speak. So, with that said, and all the stuff previously stated, let's get on with this. So our story begins at Revolution. It's Adam Cole versus Hangman Adam Page going for the AEW World Heavyweight Championship. The two are close to evenly matched. Everything that Adam Cole has said before about how Hangman has become such a formidable world champion is set to be true. Yeah, it feels like the extra part of his promo, how Adam Cole might just feel be a little bit better than Hangman, starts to rear its ugly head as Adam Cole hits a 
Panama Sunrise onto Hangman Page. We have the now, now AEW Tag Team Champions Red Dragon and Dr. Britt Baker in their corner alongside the Young Bucks who are there conflicted at ringside. Adam Cole is setting up for the boom. And it's at this point where he's doing that. He's looking out to the ramp, goading in Hangman Adam Page to get to his knees as a very familiar face makes his way to the ramp. It's a guy that we're all aware of and we all know that he hears the battle cry under the devil sky. It's Kenny Omega. It's at this point that this provides just enough of confliction and distraction to the box and Red Dragon themselves to allow Hangman Adam Page to dodge the boom. Adam Cole getting distracted by the sudden appearance of Kenny Omega, a man who he believed to be gone for much longer than he had anticipated, arriving at Revolution, allowing Hangman Adam Page to hit the buckshot lariat for the one, two, three. Hangman Page retains the AEW world title, glaring daggers at the Bucks, Kenny, Adam Cole, and of course, Red Dragon and Britt Baker as he leaves Revolution with the world title alone. Adam Cole gets to his feet, angry, conflicted as he stares at Kenny. The two have a stare down near the end of Revolution, where both men leave on their own separate terms. The next week on AEW Dynamite, Adam Cole demands that Kenny comes out to explain his actions. They are meant to be a team together. They are the elite. And everything that Adam Cole has been doing has been the sake of the elite to keep them relevant whilst their former world heavyweight champion has been gone. Adam Cole continues to justify that everything he's been doing has been for the sake of them as a team and for the sake of the wrestling business. Because of the elite on on top, who could be on top? Kenny Omega comes out to make his presence known that him and Hangman was just a one-off thing. His goal is still the AEW World Heavyweight Championship. He says that Adam Cole, whilst you were in another company winning championships with your little friends over there, Kenny Omega was making history. He didn't intend to cost Adam Cole the world title. He was just simply reassuring the AEW faithful and Adam Cole himself that he is back because it felt like people had forgotten about him. And so at this point, we have now the build to double or nothing, in which we are going to get a elite implosion here, ladies and gentlemen. Double or nothing, the main event will be Adam Cole, Hangman Adam Page, and Kenny Omega for the AEW World Heavyweight Championship. The build of this mostly focusing on how Adam Cole continues to kind of be the wild card of this tandem, sending in guys like Red Dragon, Jay White, and others of both Kenny and Hangman's past. For what reason? We don't know. Throughout this, Adam Cole continues to team with Red Dragon, taking out members of the Dark Order in six-man tag team action, notably without the Bucks at ringside for those six-man tags, only really appearing in major singles matches. Likewise, Kenny Omega continues to reassert himself as the best bout machine, having these week-to-week, 20-minute -week classics with people on the roster. Guys 
that he has never wrestled before, who have only just recently came into AEW. Guys like Akeef Lee and Eddie Kingston, various other people who you describe as work-rate fan favorites of AEW. Maybe teasing a potential turn to come for the best bout machine. But with Hangman, he has another more difficult thing. Carrying on with the themes of his recent world title wins, Hangman Page is having more title wins in the build-up to this double or nothing main event. Defending the titles against Pac, Malachi Black, Ricky Starks, Darby Allen, and various other talent. All once again reasserting that Hangman is a fighting champion heading in to Double or Nothing. Then finally, the other big component of this, the Young Bucks, people synonymous with all three men in the main event. They will appear at ringside, but for context for their whole entire story, they've been conflicted about who to associate themselves with. Having a similar problem to what Adam Cole has been having for the past several weeks, the Bucks are conflicted from which side they should go. They're kind of indifferent to Hangman, but kind of have a love-hate relationship with the guy now. Kenny Omega's returned, but it kind of feels like his whole direction and goals contrast with the Young Bucks currently as EVPs. And Adam Cole kind of seems to be doing his own thing. The Bucks are conflicted about what their plan is to do for the future. Whilst they are focused on winning the AEW Tag Team titles from Red Dragon in what Adam Cole would describe as friendly competition, it's not really friendly to them, is it? And so we get to Double or Nothing. As discussed, the main event is Kenny Omega, Hangman Adam Page, and Adam Cole for the AEW World Heavyweight Championship. The Bucks are conflicted throughout the entire match, choosing not to really side with any of them, with various opportunities for them to cheat on Hangman, Cole, and Kenny, but all just hesitating at the last possible moments. This all culminates into a referee being knocked out via an accidental buckshot lariat and having Kenny and Adam counter into their respected finishing moves, knocking out Hangman in the center of the ring. It's at this point that Adam and, Adam and Kenny demand that the Bucks hand them the AEW World Heavyweight Championship to hit across the skull of Hangman Adam Page. First, they attempt to give it to Adam Cole. They refuse. Kenny quickly demands it again. They refuse. It's at this point that Red Dragon begin to attempt to attack the Young Bucks, in which the Bucks counter with a super kick and walk away from the stage with the AEW World Heavyweight titles. They get to the ramp, and it's at this point that everything seems to be going its own way. Cole and Kenny are having their little fight between each other as the ref is still knocked down, but nothing has really fallen out of place. But it's at this point that things take an interesting turn for the worst. You see, whilst the Bucks are still heading up the ramp, holding and clutching the AEW world title, something happens. They get near a group of fans near the ringside, and two men wearing Lucha Bros masks jump the guardrail. Two men begin assaulting Matt and Nick Jackson. One of them delivering a super kick to Matt Jackson. The two men stand opposite the Bucks, 
one of them completely knocked down, in which one of them reveals their head. And it turns out to be none other than Shawn Michaels. The crowd looks on in complete shock. Nick looks like he's seen a ghost. And it's at this point that Nick stares at the other man. The tension begins to build. And the other man amassed himself to be none other than Triple H. He quickly hits Nick Jackson with a pedigree. And the two grab the AEW world title. Not without Triple H saying off mic. You should have joined us when you had the chance, Bucks. As the two rush towards the ringside. The referee still knocked out. Adam Cole looking over to his former mentors as they pass him the AEW World Heavyweight Championship. Adam Cole hits Kenny Omega over the head with the AEW title. Shawn Michaels and Triple H hold up the AEW title to the back of Kenny's head as Adam Cole hits the boom onto Kenny. The two stand at ringside and exit the ring as the referee regains consciousness for the one, two, three. Adam Cole is your AEW World Champion with the assistance of Shawn Michaels and Triple H. It's at this point, Red Dragon come out holding the AEW Tag Team titles. Britt Baker comes out with the AEW Women's title. And with it, Shawn Michaels grabs a pair of contracts that he has in his pockets. And they're all, as the audience can see, AEW contracts. One for Kyle, one for Bobby, one for Britt, and one for Adam. All four of them rip their contracts apart. They all hug in the ring. And they all sign their own patented WWE contracts. The pair leave revolution, starting a revolution of their own. But what will this lead to? Let's find out very quickly. So on the very next episode of AEW Dynamite, the audience is silent. We don't know what's going to happen. Three-fifths of AEW's champions have walked across the forbidden door and seemingly slammed it shut. And some of you might be asking at this point, why would Adam Cole do this? Why would Britt Baker do this? A person who on various interviews has been claimed to be AEW444 life. Well, there's a couple noticeable things that you may learn from recent AEW interviews with a certain Adam Cole. He talks about how ever since they were together, They've never wanted to be separated ever again. After they were paired together and being put into these type of positions. Adam Cole has said on multiple interviews like on Renee Paquette's podcast that being paired with Britt Baker was one of the first things that he was really looking forward to. He was looking forward to a mixed tag match, being able to see his partner more regularly. That's something they were never able to really do when they were sort of split apart. That is a potential reason, but that is off topic as we head to Dynamite. And who is it that comes out to this grandiose episode of AEW Dynamite? Well, let's just say that 
Whoever it is has no chance. That's what you've got. Because for the first time ever, and in a place that nearly harkens back to the Monday Night Wars, Vince McMahon walks out to make his debut on AEW Dynamite. He announces Adam Cole and the Undisputed Era to the ring. He brings out Shawn Michaels and Triple H and Britt Baker all coming out as a tandem. All clutching their respected AEW titles. Wearing their own sets of suits. Looking like proper company men. Doing what some might say was best for business. It's at this point that Adam Cole is given a mic and he says that when he left Ring of Honor, rather than congratulate him, the elite, they left him high and dry. Some might say they left him for dead. He states that from the from that day forward, when he was left discarded by the elite people who he held so dearly, he would one day make their lives a living hell. Because through all the skits and all the promises, he believed that they were brothers to him. There was something that they, he realized when he came into AEW, something he realized at full gear. Is that they would never accept him as brothers because they accepted people like Hangman Adam Page, people like Kenny Omega, people who were flawed and made mistakes when Kenny had made so many before him. Adam just wanted to do the right thing. He wanted to keep wrestling going and it was to clear to him that nobody else in that company did. And so Adam says that when he left WWE, it wasn't because he hated the company. It was because he was doing what was best for business. AEW took away his idols and mentors from power. The said positions that would guarantee the future of pro wrestling and for the sake of that future, he will go to war for it. It's at this point that Shawn Michaels, Triple H, Britt Baker, all such and such, pat him on the back, concluding that they are taking this company and their world titles and leaving. And nobody is going to stop them because they are a paragon of pro wrestling and they're an undisputed era of sports entertainment. And with that, the battle lines have been drawn. And so it's at this point that the events of Double or Nothing are scattered across all of WWE social media channels. They're scattered across episodes of Raw in the middle of their ad breaks. They're scattered near the beginning as intro video packages, realizing that war has officially begun. So we head to SmackDown on Fox. That has gone live post the broadcasting of Double or Nothing where Adam Cole comes out to defend his AEW title on live television against the WWE star. The first title defense. How insulting. And to add insult to injury to all of this, it's not a WWE star that we all know and love. It's not a main event guy like you'd see a Roman Reigns or a, you know, some might even say a Seth Rollins or a Drew McIntyre. No. It's none of those guys. Instead, it's a guy like Akira Tozawa. A guy that WWE has 
put down and limited to being a 24-7 title contender. And it's at this point as Akira Tozawa makes his way to the ring that he is hit by an hurricane from the crowd. As off-camera, a man sprints into the ring and attacks Adam Cole. And that appears to be somebody, AEW for life, for a lot of people. And that is Eddie Kingston. He rushes in, he assaults Adam Cole like nobody else would, shouting at him that this is loyalty, this is brand loyalty, you know nothing about loyalty as security rushes to the ring. And as such and such, Eddie quickly grabs the mic as various members of security attempt to pull him back and restrain him as the microphone lays at the front of his face as he lies on his front. Adam Cole quickly exiting the ring, his team of Red Dragon and Britt Baker coming to his side as Eddie Kingston shouts from the top of this lungs. So this is the big leagues, huh? This is the place that denied me? Forced me to bleed as I watched my brothers be taken away from me. Adam, Adam, listen to me. I may not like you. I may not respect you. But I damn well admire your tenacity to think this situation is all about you. Adam, you messed with my home. You messed with my family. You and this company should know what that means. Cover those doors all you want. Shut them all you like, because I swear I'm going to knock each one of those sons of bitches down. Because right now, you wanted a war, Adam. You wanted to guarantee the future of pro wrestling. Well, pro wrestling isn't destined to be sports entertained. Not in my lifetime, because it was destined to be sports entertained. Then guys like me, guys like Moxley, guys like Jungle Boy, Sammy Guevara, Darby Allen, none of them would exist in this company. And none of them would exist for you. And so, Adam, Vince, Hunter, whoever is listening to this, you wanted a war. You've got a war. So it's at this point, WWE is trying to force that forbidden door open because whilst WWE sees itself as the big leagues, they don't see AEW as competition. They just stole all their titles, their belts, and did it in next to no effort. But this, my friends, is a war that's far from over. So, as discussed, let's address the obvious thing in the room. How on earth is AEW going to have consistent matches with WWE if WWE does not really acknowledge them that much? As stated in the previous promo, yeah, it was very hard for Eddie to get in there, and he nearly basically got kicked out of the building. So, Let's start the obvious thing that I said before about having several mini-stories to build up to the big pay-per-view clash. Starting with story number one, and it begins on Monday Night Raw. Funny enough here, uh, it's a 24-7 title segment. It's on Raw. Reggie is running for his life doing all the hardcore and backflips, running away from the likes of Akira Tozawa. Uh, I don't know who else is in that bottom part anymore. Uh... I don't know, local indie talent, somebody, anybody, 
And it's at this point that Reggie is going across. He's he's declaring himself one of the greatest 24-7 champions of all time. When on this very episode, as Reggie is about to get into a car, he gets hit off camera by a super kick by who you may ask? The Young Bucks. Matt and Nick Jackson demanding to get their hands on a certain D-Generation X, in which they order Brandon Cutler to go for the pin, in which Brandon Cutler becomes 24-7 champion. Basically giving permission for Brandon Cutler, and in turn, potential members of the AEW roster, to enter the floodgates of WWE's Monday Night Raw and Friday Night SmackDown. It's at this point that two contract colors now pulling triple duty. They essentially just sort of like cut a promo where they're just saying, Hey, Brandon, you're doing triple duty tonight. It's like, what? No, wait, what? What do you mean? It's at this point where they start to cut their promo about saying how they don't always agree with Eddie, but the war is indeed on. They want a match with Shawn Michaels and Triple H. Anything goes, which does eventually happen. And I'll say, because it won't really be a big pay-per-view match. Uh, it'll be on one of the special WWE pay-per-views. I don't know which ones come up specifically next, post-Revolution. Uh, post-Mania, so it'll probably be like Backlash, to be honest. Where that would just be a very fun, you know, little marquee match. In the build-up to the big co-branded pay-per-view. And with it, Brandon Cutler has a bigger importance on the show now. He has kind of the Cutler cam where he can interview wrestlers from AEW who are essentially invading to Monday Night Raw, Friday Night Smackdown for that particular week. In which we get various segments where Brandon Cutler is running from members of the WWE roster to maintain the 24-7 title and in turn a reason for AEW to continue being on television. That's kind of a mini story kind of going on, which kind of writes a way to integrate the 24-7 title into social media, which was kind of what it was before, into Monday Night Raw, SmackDown, also into AEW and Rampage and all that fun stuff. Kind of keeps the crossing and a thread to allow everything kind of to go smoothly. Which brings us on to the story that we were talking about before, the main storyline for the AEW world title, Adam Cole, baby, who, after betraying the Elite, has basically gone full chicken S-word heel. Having defended the title thanks to the aid of his Paragon slash Undisputed Era buddies, Kyle O'Reilly, and of course Bobby Fish and Britt Baker by his side, he begins defending the title against all comers, first notable name being Eddie Kingston, who's eventually screwed by the WWE system, particularly your Triple H and your Vince McMahons, because remember, back in the day, Eddie Kingston was said to have been suggested to become a coach for the WWE Performance Center. Uh, uh, little payback there. All that leading to stuff for Eddie down the line, which we will get to later. Uh, with this, Adam Cole also defends it against AEW guys like Pac, a match against CM Punk, which would be very cool. I still think that should happen. And various other matches. All leading up to a surprise situation, which kind of coincides with our second story, which I will mention now. Cody Rhodes! Remember the adrenaline in your soul? He's not visiting your local indie shows, because Cody is a free agent. That is the story of Cody, another key story in this. 
he does eventually get a title shot with Adam Cole because because he's technically a free agent now. He can decide where the title goes. He's the sort of hidden dark horse where AEW and WWE constantly try to get Cody back on their side. Stuff including people like Tony Schiavone convincing him that Tony Khan's actions have indeed changed. Stuff with the Elite and the EVPs trying to convince him to come back and remember that is this what Dusty would have wanted. Likewise, Vince McMahon is also on the other side trying to convince him that everything he was doing was for best for business. He had every good intentions planned for Cody. He literally set out a job for life for him after the death of Dusty Rose because of how important he was to WWE and his developmental promotion NXT. This continues to have a very big, sort of big fight feel match. And it all concludes on an episode of Monday Night Raw where Cody looks like he's about to win where he gets screwed over by Triple H. Supporting the narrative that all McMahons have always despised and hated the Rhodes. And in the build to this, Triple H is saying that Cody Rhodes was an afterthought. He was a man with so much promise, but just fell just a little too close to the sun. He inspired to be so much like him that he couldn't find who Cody Rhodes really was. And you know who Cody Rhodes really was? Just a man in the shadow of his late great father. It's at this point that Cody Rhodes has an impassioned promo, building up to a Triple H versus Cody Rhodes match at the big pay-per-view, which will be in Act 3, in which Cody says that everything that he has done up to this point has to prove that he could surpass Dusty's legacy, and he may have not always made the right decisions. But he says the reason he came back to AEW, the reason that he's coming to WWE right now to face Triple H is for one reason only, and it's to prove that he could finally live up to his father's legacy that this company has ever so denied him. And that the Rhodes legacy is more than just one royal family. It's the royal family of pro wrestling. He will give his heart, he will give his soul, and he will conquer the King of Kings who is said to sit on the top of the WWE throne. And going back to the segue of this, Adam Cole in this finally gets a match against Kenny Omega. The two clashing to prove who is the future of pro wrestling, who is destined to carry it all across the country and across the entire world. Who truly is the best bout machine? Who truly is the greatest wrestler? Who is the elite of pro wrestling? That is the feud between Kenny and Adam, which will culminate at the big pay-per-view in Act 3. Which, with that, we've covered two to three of the major stories. So let's go on to story number four. As stated with the Cody Rhodes thing, there are notable stars throughout each of these, which we will come to later, who during promos and various segments across AEW Dynamite, Raw, and SmackDown, claim that they are using various parts of their own respective managements to get better contracts in fear of jumping ship. Guys like Kevin Owens, who said there could just be three more months 
Sami Zayn and his Sami for Syria campaign, the various other controversial stuff with Saudi Arabia, and MJF, a guy who across multiple promos has stated that if given the chance, he has Bruce Pritchard on speed dial. These are constant forces throughout this several months of build. Like always with this, we haven't cut out all the mid-card champions in this type of story. Sammy Guevara continues to be the undisputed TNT champion, kind of the flag bearer of AEW, holding down the guard, having defending titles against various people across this forbidden door. Guys notable for being very strong and hard workers, people like your Kevin Owens, Cesaros, Cedric Alexander, and various other notable names in which Sammy Guevara continues to go match after match, proving that he is a fighting champion and a pillar of AEW. We get various promises from him saying that he wasn't meant to be in AEW. He wasn't meant to be one of the prominent members of the Inner Circle. He has fought for everything, and he'd be damned if another company claims that they can do it better than he can. Because he is Sammy Guevara, and he is the best ever. And with it, we get the one big thing teasing for that big part of the card. And it's Vince McMahon teasing a match between Sammy Guevara and his pet project, Austin Fury. Two of the youngest and brightest stars going for the face of TNT and in turn, the face of the network. Vince tries to convince Sammy one last time and promises him that he could be the next big Latin star that professional wrestling has been looking for, and not just a second fiddle to Chris Jericho. Now with that, as another thing leading up to the big preview, we have one extra story to talk about. Darby Allen going against the odds. Darby Allen, as we know, is everything that WWE does not see in a big main event star. He's about five foot eight, weighs 170 pounds, and he is everything that WWE does not want to happen. And with it on a whim through Vince's orders, he goads Bobby Lashley to show his dominance, the almighty, and express and end this war once and for all. And so he says that he wants to leave a message to Darby Allen, a guy who represents everything that AEW is about, risk-taking, high-flying risk. And so it's at this point that we get on an episode of Raw, Bobby Lashley defending the WWE title against Darby Allen. But throughout this entire match, because I feel it's noticeable to mention, uh, Darby gets beaten the living S-word out of spear after spear, power move after power move. Darby just won't die. Lashley keeps wailing on him, and even when Darby hits a coffin drop, Lashley kicks out at two and a half. MVP and the rest of the Hurt Business attempt to interfere, but thanks to the likes of Punk, Eddie Kington, and various other passionate members of the AEW roster, Lashley succumbs to a coffin drop onto the WWE Championship for the one, two, three. In a shock that's heard around the world, Darby Allen hoists up the WWE title giving a reason for WWE to chase after people on AEW Dynamite. Him and Cutler being some of the very few people clutching WWE 
main roster gold. Vince is fuming because Darby represents everything that Vince despises in a champion. A champion who is small, undersized, and a daredevil. He chews out Lashley backstage and demands him to go on a hunt to chase after Darby and that WWE title by any means necessary. The other story that we will talk about is a story of Roman Reigns, the man who doesn't even care about this war. He's the tribal chief. He is in God mode in his own words. There is nobody on that roster that can touch him. And during this, we get a very much welcomed appearance during a marquee match and a stare down between Kenny and Roman Reigns where Roman is visited by an old friend. Coming out to the track of Wild Things, John Moxley appears, having it seem like Roman has seen another ghost of his past. And as the Usos hit the ring with an assortment of weapons, out come the Young Bucks to repel some of that WWE attraction and set up a potential key marquee match for down the line. Moxley says nothing to Reigns. Reigns simply looks on in astonishment. Moxley stares down Roman Reigns and heads off the apron where he says one final thing to Roman. Brothers never die, but they sure as hell can fight. So they leave the ring setting up a big universal title match. And with it, we move on to the women's stories. We've got the Charlotte Flair story with her clashing with Thunder Rosa. The two antithesis opposites of each other. Thunder Rosa... The woman who grew up in very poor circumstances, who scratched and clawed to get anywhere in the world of professional wrestling, was humiliated, yet fought her way up to being one of the top stars in AEW. Clashing with Charlotte Flair, a person born into greatness, a queen of WWE. It's rags versus riches. A warrior of professional wrestling versus a queen of professional wrestling. Who comes out on top, we will never know, in this big potential dream match set for this big card set to come. Likewise with this, we get another who is the best of the best. Becky Lynch versus Britt Baker. Now, I've already stated that Britt Baker is in that kind of WWE fold. But here's the thing with this. Britt Baker wants to still prove that she is one of the top faces of any division. It doesn't matter if you're in the Raw or AEW divisions, she will dominate every single one. Because whilst she is holding up a contract for the WWE, her heart still bleeds in some way or form black and gold. And so with it, it's Big Time Bex versus the Doctor Britt Baker. And what can only really be described or even dubbed as one of the biggest women's matches in the company. And with it, we have the final thing that we need to mention before the end of this. And it's a match that may be the be-all and end-all of this clash. A match that can only really be done justice by a certain William Regal. One of the biggest matches to come out of this big Super Show sub-story is, of course... War Games. Team WWE versus Team AEW. Because the chaos has gotten so out of hand. Companies trading titles. 
clashes between tag teams like the Usos and the Bucks. Red Dragon trying to assert themselves as dominant people despite AEW wrestlers chasing after their respected tag team titles. The chaos needs to end at a big super show. So, captains of these teams at ringside, Vince McMahon and Tony Khan, begin to select their potential captains and members of their respected teams. Team AEW's captain is actually a co-united front between three men. CM Punk, Eddie Kingston, and Hangman Adam Page. All vying for that position as leaders of this group. All having viable gripes between the other company. Hangman Page is big potential loss in leading to him not getting a rematch for the world title. Being the reason he is in this match. Eddie Kingston bleeding and sweating the idea of AEW and the passion he gave. The fight he gave against Adam Cole and everything he has given since to be the forefront of this change. Has put him in a spot in this match where he will live and die by those three letters AEW. The other person CM Punk. A man who said that when he joined WWE, his love of professional wrestling died. And he has no way in hell he wants to let it end by WWE's stupid son-in-law and the rest of his stupid family. On the other side, we have WWE. Vince McMahon has in his corner for this. Drew McIntyre, Seth Rollins, Randy Orton, Brock Lesnar and Riddle. All viable mid-card to main event contenders, some absolute beasts. But some of you might be wondering, I've forgotten two noticeable names in Team AEW, because this is five on five. Well, you see, the other two members are a bit of a confliction for Team AEW, and even potential parts of Team WWE, because the final two members of Team AEW are MJF, and Keith Lee. Now, each of these sides have their own respected issues. All members of Team WWE have issues against one another. Drew McIntyre claiming the WWE title over Brock Lesnar, slaying the beast at Mania, but also likewise being eliminated by him at the recent Royal Rumble. Brock Lesnar having bad blood with everybody, beating up Randy Orton, delivering forearms and leaving him bloody in the middle of SummerSlam. Matt Riddle kind of being a UFC counterpart that he's never really properly respected. And likewise, we have a potential of a RK bro split up in the middle of the chamber. A Seth Rollins potential dislike of everybody in this. Having issues with Drew McIntyre back in the old Monday Night Messiah days. Slaying Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania and facing him multiple times for the Universal title. And of course, let's not forget the real-life backstage heat between Seth Rollins and Riddle. And then we come to Team AEW. A guy in Keith Lee who's only recently just joined the roster. Can he be trusted to be a part of Team AEW? Or will he simply betray them for the sake of the WWE? Because remember, there's a lot of people who he does have a lot of history with in that company. MJF. A man who we've already stated from week to week has said that he would potentially leave AEW for WWE, which could potentially come ahead. Additionally with this, his history with CM Punk, the bad blood cultivated 
as early and as late as Revolution. How will that play out? In addition to this, let's not even talk about the Eddie Kingston situation. Him supposedly not liking CM Punk. Him having issues with his own confidence. CM Punk saying that he is nothing but a bum. What could eventually happen to keep all of these ongoing spinning plates together? Because they all have issues with each other. But can they all unite for a common cause? As WWE and AEW clash in this big supercard dubbed World's End. So, with this done and stated, uh, let's run down the card that I have. I didn't have enough time to mention everything I would put on, because, uh, there's a- there's a lot to do. And I- I had to do a lot of summarizing for the sake of brevity, but the big AEW WWE dream card dubbed World's End simply goes like this. Because this is such a big pro wrestling extravaganza, we are treating it like a WrestleMania. It is a- I know this might be iffy for some people, but it is a 14-match card. We have a TNT title match, Austin Fury facing Sammy Guevara for the TNT Championship. In a very special six-man tag, we have The New Day taking on The Dark Order in a very special once-in-a-lifetime match. We have a eight-man ladder match to determine the Intercontinental Champion. We have Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens, Cesaro, Ricky Starks, Brian Danielson, Mustafa Ali, Pac, and Malachi Black. Also on the show, we have Alpha Academy, Los Lotharios, FTR, and the Lucha Bros in a very special match for the Raw Tag Team titles. We have the Jurassic Express versus the Street Profits in a match for the AEW Tag Team titles, which Jurassic Express retained thanks to the work of the Young Bucks. Well, not really retained, they regained the titles, my mistake there. We have a very special match between the Usos, Young Bucks, and Red Dragon, all kind of mocking for attention. We have a very special marquee match in Britt Baker versus Becky Lynch. We have WWE Champion Darby Allen against Bobby Lashley, Thunder Rosa versus Charlotte Flair, Bailey versus Jade Cargill. Roman Reigns defending the Universal title against John Moxley. Kenny Omega going for the AEW title against the betraying member of the Elite, Adam Cole. Cody Rhodes versus Triple H. And finally, Team WWE versus Team AEW in War Games. This is how the results would go. So this is how my co-branded pay-per-view between WWE and AEW dubbed World's End would go. Sammy Guevara would retain the TNT title against Austin Fury in a very competitive opener. One that really showcases the talent of Austin Fury and how he is like a real kind of freakish athlete that I think people are sleeping on. And kind of show a little bit of respect between the two. They're on opposite sides but Sammy Guevara once again solidifying himself as a dominant TNT champion. Something that he never really had in his first reign, but he's kind of getting a chance to do in his second one. The second match, New Day versus Dark Order. The New Day, of course, they go over. As much as I love the Dark Order, the New Day get over here thanks to just all of them returning as a united front, dubbed as one of the greatest factions in WWE history. 
they sort of, in their own way, put over the darker and their comedic shtick. A bunch of very fun comedy spots throughout the match with, like, John Silver and Biggie trying to have a little bit of a flex-off mid-match. I feel would be quite fun. And with it, the New Day eventually winning with a triple team tandem onto a member of the Dark Order for the one, two, three. Now, the IC title match for the ladder match going across, it's everything that you kind of want. If you guys remember the, like, WrestleMania 32 ladder match, or... You know when WWE's WrestleMania matches, they used to open with ladder matches for the IC title? It's basically that. It's an absolute piece of car crash television that I am all for. And with it, we finally get Cesaro holding up the Intercontinental title as truly a workhorse champion. Holding it up as a true workhorse that he should be seen across both companies. Being the absolute unit that he should be recognized as. As it's criminal that he hasn't held a mid-card title since 2012. I'm just saying that. I feel that's necessary. The next thing are a four-man tag team match of the Alpha Academy, Lost the Fires, FTR, and Lucha Bros. FTR once again prove why are they are some of the most tactical wrestlers in all of pro wrestling sort of like tag team division. As former AAA tag team champions, they secure once again the raw Tag team titles establishing a little bit more control for AEW. It's at this point that once again we get Jurassic Express versus the Street Profits. In a very fun, fast-paced competitive match. This is very much the tag team section of this pay-per-view. Uh, Jurassic Express pick up the win thanks to a very nice bit of tag team offense from Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus. Securing that win, but not without its own little bits of hiccups. Like a very much countered, uh, high, like from the heavens frog splash into a, oh my god, I'm forgetting what Jungle Boy's finishing move is. The snare trap. There we go. The snare trap. And with it, we get to the SmackDown tag team title match. It's the Usos versus the Young Bucks versus Red Dragon. Truly a dream match stare down between the Usos and Bucks have to happen here. Likewise with Red Dragon as they all get their own sets of tag team offense in. Of course, we get the big striking exchange between the Bucks and Red Dragon. But all of this is for not as the Usos via the Bucks and Red Dragon's own distractions cost themselves the match as the Usos secure and retain the SmackDown tag team titles. Britt Baker and Becky Lynch have a very much back and forth affair, but ultimately Britt Baker succumbs to the disarmor from Becky Lynch for a submission tap out. Britt Baker shows that she is very strong in defeat, but she just wasn't quite enough to take on the WrestleMania main event of the man, Becky Lynch, this time. Though it's very much stated on commentary that in a couple of years, it very well could be. On the other side of the coin, the Rags to Riches match of Thunderosa versus Charlotte Flair goes up in all smoke. Charlotte Flair loses to Thunderosa thanks to a multitude of drop kicks and counters of the figure eight into the fire. Thunder Driver for the one, two, three. Thunderosa of all the heart and determination overcomes all the odds to defeat. One of the greatest women's wrestlers in modern WWE. 
Likewise with this, Bailey and Jade Cargill have a match that very much paints Bailey as the old underdog babyface of old back down in her old NXT days that starts to come out. We get a couple of Bailey to Belly near falls that ultimately lead to Jade Cargill picking up the win with Jaded. And thus we come to the WWE title match. Bobby Lashley versus Darby Allen. All the pressure being put onto Bobby Lashley by Vince McMahon after every little history with the promotion. Having cost Vince McMahon his hair in the Battle of the Billionaires. Having lost him his most prized possession all of WWE. Some of the richest history in the company. He finds himself against his ultimate enemy, Darby Allen, and of course Sting. All representing that anti-WWE establishment. The match goes how we'd already previously alluded to. Darby Allen and Bobby Lashley have this very competitive match with Darby getting a little bit more advantage now that he has a little bit more understanding of how Bobby Lashley wrestles. He mostly targets the leg to really neutralize the spear that Bobby Lashley possesses, but the ending of the match resulting in a coffin drop counted in mid-air by Bobby Lashley placing Darby Allen into the hurt lock. Darby has nowhere to go. He tries to scrabble his way to the ropes, but he just can't, and he passes out in the hold. Bobby Lashley once again regains the WWE Championship. And it's with this that we head on to our next couple matches, our big time matches. Roman Reigns versus John Moxley in what can only be described as a hardcore battle between the pair. Roman Reigns eventually comes out on top, defeating his former Shield brother and establishing that there is nobody who can touch Roman Reigns at this point, having vanquished both of his brothers in a consistent fight. Though Moxley throughout this definitely did not stay down for long. Kenny Omega versus Adam Cole is very much a battle of the elite versus the undisputed era. The Bucks accompany Kenny Omega and of course Red Dragon accompanies Adam Cole. The two clash in a very much back and forth style between the pair. Both getting very clear near falls and Kenny hitting the one winged angel. But Cole barely gets his foot on the rope. Not kicking out, getting his foot on the rope. Of course, during all of this, Kenny goes for another one-winged angel. However, because of situations that arose, the referee is continually distracted by the appearance of the Young Bucks and Red Dragon, allowing Adam Cole to get just enough of a distraction to hit Kenny Omega and secure the win for the 1-2-3 with the boom. Adam Cole once again barely escapes with the AEW world title, keeping the clutches inside the WWE. We have Cody Rhodes versus Triple H next, a very much a hardcore match, street fight, whatever you want to call it, a battle between the Rhodes and the McMahons once and for all. Both loved and hated by the crowd, both in a way that very few can describe. And in a sense, it is very much a old-school NWA-style brawl. The two bloodied and battered, hit with sledgehammers and shovels and everything in between. Until Cody overcomes it all, hitting a crossroads and defeating the one demon that his father was unable to beat. 
and that was the control of the McMahon family. Cody Rhodes, still a free agent, walks out of both companies, being his own free man, carving a road of his own as we head to our main event. Team AEW versus Team WWE. The first people out in these orders is Drew McIntyre and CM Punk. Almost a nostalgic look back, but with the styles so drastically different. Drew, significantly bigger. Punk, significantly more older and wiser. The two have a clash between each other that almost harkens back to the old days of 2010 and 2011 WWE. Until the very next entrant, Eddie Kingston, comes in. He runs roughshod on McIntyre, hitting him with whatever he can find inside the war game structure. Chairs, items, whatever he can find. But with just a little bit of a clashing between CM Punk, the cracks are already starting to show. Next person in, Randy Orton. Going for RKO after RKO after RKO. But of course, more miscommunication leads him to also RKOing Drew McIntyre. Because at this point, nobody can get pinned until all entrants are inside the war game structure. Leading to our very next member, Hangman Adam Page. Our buckshot worrying, anxious millennial cowboy clashes with Randy Orton, a nose to nose. Hangman goes for broke against every opportunity against Randy. He goes for a buckshot Larry that is unfortunately countered into a power slam by Randy Orton, who attempts to set up another RKO. It's at this point where Randy is setting up for it that as he goes for the jump, Kingston catches him with an hurricane in midair. There starts to be a little bit more of an alliance from AEW, but will that last as the fourth participant, Brock Lesnar, comes out? An absolute machine. He breaks out of his pod, he heads straight in, he rushes in like the beast that he is, and he immediately goes for everybody in sight. A walking behemoth of a man who is out on his own mission. He's out there just to beat people up. He beats up Drew, he beats up Randy, he beats up anybody who gets in his way, including Seth Rollins and all such and such that enter later down the line. With it, somebody needs to tame this beast. In this case, it's Keith Lee, in which we get again the once big beefy boy stare down that we got at the Royal Rumble, except now it's in a cage. We get some big freaking hoss moves as the other wrestlers lay around exhausted. Brock Lesnar goes for German suplexes on Keith Lee, in which one spot during it in particular, he lands on his feet, goes for a pounce and thrusts Lesnar into the chamber. Likewise, Lesnar hits a set of German suplexes after German suplexes, in which we get ourselves a big hoss match. In which, at this point, Drew McIntyre finally aids his former rival hitting a claymore onto Keith Lee. The pairs are all kind of evenly tied up as the next final participant for WWE, Seth Rollins, comes into play. Seth Rollins, number four of this set clash, comes in. Rollins goes for every high-flying spot in the book, risking everything to maintain his control. Because remember... Rollins really did stake his claim as a WWE guy back in his Universal title days. 
He goes for various other spots. He throws out a Phoenix Splash for good measure, hitting Hangman Adam Page, who both face each other in immense athletic prowess. Likewise, during this, CM Punk and Eddie are still trying to find a workaround, the way that they can eventually work together. Brock Lesnar charges at the pair, and it's only through the aid of Hangman Page, who gets in between the two, that the two start to see eye to eye. All four members of Team AEW immediately start tackling Brock Lesnar, going to attempt to isolate him, and eventually, through a big spot of their own, throw him outside of the War Games chamber, essentially isolating him for a good portion of the match, leading to AEW's final member to enter the cage, MJF, the most ambiguous member of the group. He heads straight in, he starts immediately helping out with Team WWE, hitting on guys like Drew McIntyre, Seth Rollins, and Randy Orton, but also kind of holds back a bit. You kind of see CM Punk looking over to him and claiming that he's throwing his punches, which allows Orton to get another series of RKO's off until Riddle makes his way into the match. Riddle, completely relaxed, heading straight in, going for knee strike after knee strike, trading blows with Keith Lee, and eventually hitting, like Brock Lesnar, a deadlift German onto Keith. Going for a bridge, but only barely getting a two count. By this point, Brock Lesnar is still collapsed outside the ring. The punishment of some of AEW's top guys, just a little bit too much at this point. Now, at this point, we got our four on five stare down with MJF in the middle. At this point, AEW team is basically begging MJF, hey, come over to this side. What are you doing? What are you doing? And it's at this point that MJF walks over to the WWE side. The crowd begins to turn as MJF looks like he's about to team with Team WWE. Seth looks over to him. He pats him on the back saying, I knew you could do it. I knew you could. And immediately as this happens, MJF in the most uncharacteristic thing he flips the bird to Seth Rollins and he throws him into Keith Lee hitting a spirit bomb onto him as the rest of the team unites together as through some miscommunication from team WWE Orton accidentally hitting an RKO on Riddle Lesnar being knocked outside the ring and Seth being unable to communicate with the rest of the team gets hit with a series of finishes. The Uriken from Eddie Kingston, a Heat Seeker from MJF, a Powerbomb from Keith Lee, and finally a Buckshot Lariat from Hangman Adam Page for the one, two, three. Team AEW beats WWE. But that really isn't the end of it. Some of you may have noticed that some titles are still on the sides of different brands. Some are still in the clutches of people dubbed WWE guys. Adam Cole. The FTR situation. Well, that's because, well, why should we just let the war end here? 
I'm not saying that we need a bunch of cross-program integration, but is there anything wrong with having two companies not necessarily going to war with each other, but sharing areas of talent to, in turn, expose their wrestlers to different varying products? Is there anything wrong with having wrestlers go from one company to another to clash for a separate title? Having certain contracted wrestlers have a trip to another company to refreshing them up. Maybe even give them different character directions like a la a New Japan Pro Wrestling. Maybe WWE or AEW win this war. Perhaps neither of them win. But instead, you know who does win? The fans. The fans who get big marquee matches like this, a world's end collaborative event from AEW and WWE once a year, any time during the year, that puts some of AEW's finest against WWE's sports entertainment superstars. Because then, wrestling wouldn't need a forbidden door. It would just need collaborative effort. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how I would book AEW versus WWE. That, my friends, was a monster to book. Apologies for the delay of this episode. I really needed that extra time. <laughs> Because I had no idea how I was going to end that booking. I'm not going to lie to you. Is it the perfect booking of WWE versus AEW? Absolutely not. It's subjective. I missed out a bunch of key talent that you could have slotted in there. I tried to include as many people to make a massive super card event. And of course, it may not be the perfect event. But hey, that's why wrestling's beautiful. That's why it's subjective. That's why this is wrestling with fiction. And by god, I don't want to book another raw angle again. Oh my god. No more war. What is it good for? It's not good for my brain. That, that was a lot to go over. Ah. Oh. But with that, I hope you guys really enjoyed it. It was very fun to book. Like, these so-called potential big matches to have. And even some stuff that I didn't really expect that I wanted, like Bobby Lashley versus Darby Allen. That was actually kind of a very random idea that I didn't think would work on paper, but turned out a lot better than I expected. But with that, I want to know what you guys think. You can tell me wherever, on whatever social media platform. You can find me on Twitter, at Wrestling With Fiction. You can find me on Instagram, at Wrestling With Fiction. You can even find me on TikTok, at Wrestling With Fiction. And if you enjoyed this podcast in some way, shape, or form, you can leave a review on Insert, your favorite podcast app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Maybe you're finding this on YouTube and you got to the end and you want to leave a subscribe. It helps me out a bunch. And with that, thank you all so much for being on this journey with me. Thank you all so much for the love and support this week and throughout the entire month of Wrestling With Fiction. We've had some incredible growth and numbers from every single one of you checking out some of these episodes. And with that, I just want to say thank you so much. And with that out of the way, I hope all of you have a lovely day and... Remember everyone, wrestling 
can always use just a little bit more fiction. See you all. Good night, everybody.